Welcome back to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and TV. Before we start, a short disclaimer. While I am a practising psychologist, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener, nor the characters we are talking about. I'm not representative of all psychologists, and my opinion is just that, one opinion. Also, while I do have a little bit of lived experience of anxiety and depression, for the most part, I'm only commenting on my understanding of illnesses, symptoms and disabilities based on what I've learnt and read. Myself and my co-hosts in no way feel we have the final say on any character portrayal. We may get it wrong, and I invite you to let us know if we do. It's my intention to start discussions with this podcast and for it to evolve over time. So please give us any feedback you have. And now on with the show. Welcome back, Michael. Thanks for having me again, Steph. It's a pleasure to be here. Our esteemed co-host. Before we get into our next episode, I just wanted to just add some feedback in, which is a good thing to do. One of our friends of the podcast and a listener actually asked me a question recently about what actually is mental health. Uh, It's like, he was like, it's a term that gets used so much. And whenever you think about, well, whenever he thinks about it, he thinks of like positive self-care and looking after yourself. And he wanted me to sort of explain it. So I thought I'd do it on the podcast. I mean, that to me sounds like kind of a privileged person's idea of (laughs) mental health. But Because if you had schizophrenia, mental health wouldn't be self-care. It would be <laughs> taking your medication. That is a good point. Exercising. You hear Michael there, listener? <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, I guess the point of the question was like, what is the difference between mental health and mental illness and just looking after oneself? Mm. And I think it's good to sort of clarify that because to me, mental health is the same as physical health it's just your mind rather than your body Mm. so like your body gets sick and it can be a chronic illness where you sort of never get cured from it i guess or it could be an acute like like a cold and it's the same with your mind like we can all get anxious get sad or go through some some grief and loss at times And, and that's a normal thing just like we all get colds but also our mental health can become unwell in a, in a more chronic way, such as um, being diagnosed with clinical depression or some of the other disorders that we've mentioned on this podcast. Yeah, I think that's one way of looking at it. I think there are differences in as much as you can take a drug to make your mental illness symptoms go away, you know, the same as you can take a drug to make your diabetes better. Or take a panadol. Like, Yeah, like that makes sense. But then I think mental illness is slightly different because, you know, we know that talk therapy works for a lot of things. So I think there's more responsibility on the sufferer of the mental illness to make themselves better in a way. Yeah, and actually that's that was something that this friend suggested too. Like once you're knowing that your mental health is on you really to maintain does that actually make the stigma sort of worse like if you've got mental illness you're you're not looking after yourself well Mm. and that's that's I think that's a bit unfair yeah that's true (laughs) I think a lot of the stigma comes from the fact that like mental illnesses kind of present themselves to the outside world as behavior and we think that behavior is 100% under the person's control 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would object to that too, because of course, just like you can prevent type two diabetes, you could also try and prevent a mental illness from happening, mm. but you can't completely prevent that because you also have genetics behind you. And like, you know, your first three years of life are really critical in, in determining the rest of your life pretty much. So if you've ha had any childhood trauma or experiences that have been completely out of your control, then you can't help the fact that you might be more predisposed to a mental illness mm. as well. So like everything, it's nature and nurture. And I feel like that's a discussion and maybe a language that should be shared more broadly. And it, it is to some extent, but I, I think that would reduce the stigma if we all just agree that mental health is an umbrella term, just like physical health and all the things within it. You can be well or unwell for a long time or a short time. Then it's just normal. And I think I would say to your friend as well, in addition to that, like the World Health Organization, when it defines good health and good mental health, like good physical health and good mental health, it's always like, it's not the absence of an illness. It's having the best opportunities to participate in society, mm. fulfill your goals, all those things. So it's not just about illness. No, exactly. And absence of illness. And I think it's a spectrum like, everything else. Mm. I also just want to clarify it. Um, just because you may have had some trauma in your childhood does not mean you are going to develop mental illness as well. Yeah. Just no. to clarify. It's like a risk factor, right? Yeah. It's a risk factor. Just mm. like there's risk factors of cancer and heart disease. Yeah. Good chat. I also just wanted to add if anyone follows Clementine Ford on Instagram, she does a deep dive every week or month. I'm not sure how long into a movie through her Instagram stories. Uh, and she did Muriel's wedding a week or two ago and pretty much talked about how Muriel's wedding is a portrayal of trauma and abuse and depression and grappling with those things and trying to come out of those things. And it's just brilliant. And if we were to do Muriel's wedding on this podcast, we don't have to anymore because Clementine Ford's done it. Um, so go and watch it on her highlights if you haven't already. It's really, really good. So what are we going to talk about today, Steph? Well, as you know, there has been a new series released on Netflix very recently called Ratchet, and it's the made-up backstory of one of the characters from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh -huh. which is a very classic movie set in a mental institution in the 60s. So I thought we could focus on one flew over the cuckoo's nest because of course and then maybe compare it with ratchet in today's world sure yeah to so start with do, what do you know much about one flew over the cuckoo's nest i've read the book and seen the movie a couple of times yeah it's very much that story of people with mental illness do they have illnesses or does society just have unrealistic expectations of them Wow, you just summarised the entire... <laughs> um, yeah, I also was supposed to read it in high school, decided I didn't want to read it and switched to a different class so I could read Breakfast at Tiffany's instead. Uh, Missed out. What does that say about Still you? Still became a psychologist, so that's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, the novel was by Ken Kesey, but the movie was directed by Milos? Milos? Foreman? Milos. I don't know how to... Milos. Is that how you say it? Milos. I had a tutor called Milos. Okay. And that's how it was spelled. Right. No, no offense to Milos. If he that's was a film tutor too. Maybe he was the Maybe director. Maybe he of was Milos. Milos did Hair, Amadeus, 
the People versus Larry Flint and Man on the Moon. So actually Ken Kesey, the author, hated the movie. He like refused to watch it and said, I've never seen it. And then apparently accidentally watched it on TV one night, not realizing it was his film. Right. And then switched it. <laughs> that sounds like a lie to me. Who knows? I don't know much about Ken Kesey. But yeah, he ended up suing the production company because he was so unhappy with the decisions they made. Right. So, and he, he, it settled. So there you go. But it won the big five, as they call it. So best director, best screenplay, best film, and best actor and actress. So it was pretty popular. And yeah, like you say, it's more of a commentary on society is what it was supposed to be. So the character in the film, Nurse Ratched, more a symbol of society and the rules enforced on the people in it. Yeah. I mean, that being said, it's got a lot to say about actual mental illness and institutions. Oh, yeah. So Which we will. Don't worry. We're going to talk about that stuff. We're going to unpack it, aren't <laughs> we? Completely unpack it. Yeah. Okay. So what about Ratched? Do you know anything about Ratched? Yeah, all I know is that it's made by the guy who did, like, Glee. Mm. Ryan Murphy. Which I thought was weird before we watched Ratchet, but now that we've seen it, it makes a lot of sense. It's very Ryan Murphy. The set, the costumes, the the colours, the campiness. And it was also the guy who came up with the concept was a man named Evan Romansky, and he came up with the concept in grad school when he was, like, 25, and it was... He actually stated it was a way to get noticed because yeah. it was a, like a story that was already out there and so he thought people would pick it up more if huh. they like knew the character. So it's kind of an inauspicious start. Yeah. <laughs> We've got the Glee guy and some dude who's just trying to get attention <laughs> by capitalising on the hard work of other people. Well, he did pretty well to get Ryan Murphy's attention. Like He's the, the god at the moment of TV pretty much. And Evan actually admitted the only real thing taken from the book is that Ratched was a World War II nurse. And that's literally the only kind of thing you know about her in the book anyway. So mm. he has a lot of creative license. Mm. So the plot of One Flew of the Cookie's Nest, in a nutshell, it's the early 60s and Randall McMurphy, played by Jack Nicholson, has been placed in a mental institution. He has been on a work farm and he had pled insanity to attempt to get out of jail. His charges included assault and statutory rape. Randall immediately tries to shake things up in the institution, mainly to entertain himself, like establish a gambling ring in the tub room, get the guys playing basketball with the staff, and tries to get them to put on the baseball world series on the TV. He has a big barrier, though, in the form of Nurse Ratched, played by Louise Fletcher, who has all the patients operating under a tight iron fist (laughs) through humiliating group therapy and removing a lot of their rights and privileges. His attempts to fight the system lead to him having electroconvulsive therapy, also known as ECT. He establishes a friendship with the chief, who narrates the book but doesn't narrate the movie, which Ken Kizzy hated. And he finds out that both he, the chief, and only one other patient are the only ones in the institution who are non-voluntary. They have planned to escape together, he and the chief, on Christmas Eve. But before they do that, McMurphy gets his girlfriend and another friend to bust into the institution and throw a little Christmas party for the patients before they leave. But just as they're about to leave, Randall arranges for his girlfriend to take the youngest patient's virginity, Billy Bibbit. They all fall asleep instead of escaping. And then Nurse Ratched comes in the next morning to find the mess, shames Billy's sexual encounter, which leads Billy to suicide. This causes Randall to snap, strangles Nurse Ratched. 
He's then taken away. Later, he returns to a much more harmonic ward because Nurse Ratched has kind of lost her most valuable asset, which is her voice due to the strangling. But Randall has been lobotomized and essentially non-responsive. The chief suffocates him in order to sort of put him out of his misery and the chief escapes the institution. <gasps> How did I go? Very, very good. Not very brief. That's all you got to, that's it. That's it. That's the nutshell. story. Michael, your turn. Go now. <laughs> so Ratchet's the prequel to Cuckoo's Nest, set in 1947. It starts with the Mildred Ratchet we know from Cuckoo's Nest, finagling herself a job as a nerf at the Lu- Lucia? 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 I'm from Brisbane. I say Lucia. State hospital. <laughs> How do you say finagle? Finagle. Finagle. We know that four priests have been murdered and the killer, Edmund Tullison, is being held at the hospital to determine if he's mentally fit for trial. It's established that Ratchet and Tullison know each other and that Ratchet wants to bust him out, but we don't find out what their relationship actually is until towards the end. Meanwhile, a sort of carnival of events takes place. That's one way to describe it. Yeah, some things mental illness related and others not so much. The most important things for our purposes would be, on the one hand, the show's exploration of the strange and macabre things psychiatrists used to do to people, Mm -hmm. like hypnosis, giving them LSD, boiling and freezing them in baths, lobotomizing them. And on the other hand, the head psychiatrist, Dr. Hanover, kind of trying to revolutionise the field by treating his patients as people and kind of moving towards that deinstitutionalization of people with mental illness. There are a few characters with mental illnesses, fewer than you would kind of expect. Yeah, actually, didn't think there were that many patients, actually, in the hospital. Yeah, (laughs) but some of the diagnoses and issues covered include homosexuality as a mental illness as it's the 40s after all it was a different time um psychosis multiple personality disorder suicide post-traumatic stress and maybe some sociopathy i think that's all that needs mentioning but to finish off the story we find out that ratchet and tollison were foster siblings abused multiple times in multiple households and after a bloody escape from foster care tollison went off to a school for wayward boys and Ratched posed as a nurse in World War II, euthanizing dying soldiers until she's discharged for that very reason. So, yeah, it's a pretty wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess the only thing you didn't mention is, like, the backstory that mm. Nurse Ratched has not dealt with the fact that she's a lesbian. Oh, yeah, she is, yes. She suffers from the mental illness known as lesbian. <laughs> and she develops a relationship with... Cynthia Nixon's character. Yeah. I've forgotten her name. I'm just going to call her Miranda. All of our notes, we just see Miranda. (laughs) Miranda. Miranda, yeah. From Sex and the City. So let's start with our first category, which is, is it played by someone with a lived experience of mental illness? To answer this question, I thought maybe we could look at where any of the people involved in creating this story had any experience with mental illness or institutions, or did they do much research as well? Yeah. What I know about The Cuckoo's Nest, Ken Kesey actually worked the graveyard shift as an orderly in a mental health facility in California. So he wrote the novel based on his experiences there. But he kind of wrote the character of Nurse Ratched, along with like the doctors and other authority figures, as more of a representation of society and how it represses people. 
not just through those obvious ways, but also through those subtle ways, which is what Nurse Ratched kind of uses. So that was kind of where he was going with it. But it was also important to note that it was written in 1959 and published in 1962, which was right in the middle of the civil rights movement in America. And that was also starting to shift how people saw disability and mental illness as well. And that's kind of the beginning of trying to de-institutionalize people with mental illness. Mm. So it was very timely. Um, I couldn't find out if he actually had any mental illness. Did you find anything yourself? No, no, I don't know. But it seems like he took a lot of drugs. <laughs> um, he was part of MK Ultra. Yeah. Apparently. So MK Ultra was a government secret operation to give people LSD, like to test LSD on, on people, but not always to their knowledge. But um, obviously he knew, he must have known <laughs> that he was being given LSD because he's told people. Yeah. Um, but that he reckoned that being able to take that, be part of that made him more sympathetic towards patients with mental illness. Well, yeah, you know, I don't know. I think maybe you can say that it counts as lived experience that he worked on a psych ward. Yeah. In a, in a way, like he's definitely seen it firsthand then. Mm. But I guess there's a risk. You can't just say, like, you know, it's like somebody who flies over to some remote tribe somewhere else in the world and lives with them for a year you can't say that they've have have really have a lived experience of what it's like to be a member of that tribe. That's hundred percent right. I would agree with that. I guess in writing this novel, he's still writing from a place of privilege. He was yeah. an orderly. He wasn't a patient. Mm. So, and he was part of that power structure that he was kind of trying to portray. Yeah, in the book. Yeah, that's true. But you know, points for points. first-hand experience. Points definitely. It would be worse if he d- didn't have any experience. Yeah. As for the movie. I know that they filmed it actually at a institution that was operating and they actually stayed in the institution at the time. And also the doctor of the institution played the doctor in the film. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why he was a very good actor. Oh, <laughs> Don't know his name. Also, many of the extras were actual patients from the hospital. Okay. What do you think, though? They use a lot of actors that are often cast for their sort of unique facial features who do themselves have disorders. For example, Michael Berryman, who has, you might have to correct me with how to say this, hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia. Got it. And Vincent Chiavelli, who has Marfan syndrome. So they cast a few actors, but I'm pretty sure they just cast those actors because they look a bit funny. Like uh, Michael Berryman plays like the main monster in The Hills Have Eyes. And he's, they're both in The X-Files as well. Yeah. Well, that's not, that's disability. It's not really mental illness. And the movie kind of blurs those lines. Exactly. So, I don't know. That seems a little bit like fetishizing them in a way, just for the visuals. Yeah. But and I, I don't know. I mean, obviously those actors are employed for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a bit like gross that that's the reason. And there is a scene when, when, um, McMurphy's trying to get votes to play the World Series. He goes up to Michael Berryman's character and just sort of go like trying to get him to give him a vote, and then he sort of goes, "Oh no, not you." Yeah. Like just based on his appearance, which is playful laughs. Yeah. But it's quite rude. Quite. It's quite rude. But you know, McMurphy's a scallywag. Also, you don't get institutionalized for your 
facial features. No. Well, you shouldn't anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think Marfan syndrome would land you in an institution. No. From what no. I know about it. I don't believe so. I do think, though, from what I know, mental illness and disability were sort of put in together in institutions. Mm. But correct me on that, audience, if you know better. Well, look, some of them definitely seem to have mental illnesses, others not so much. Like, didn't you say that some of them just had um, epilepsy? Yeah, like the two characters, not the actors, there's two characters in there. One of them is Vincent Chiavelli, I'm pretty sure, have epilepsy. Hey, I want to talk to you about something. Yeah. Jack Nicholson. (laughs) When's he going to get me too'd? Well, funny you should say that. When I was looking into his bio... Because I, I looked up everyone to see if they have a history of mental illness or disability. He has a history of assault and sex crime, just like his character. Fucking hell. But no one cares about that. Yeah, he uh, assaulted a sex worker, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and didn't pay he her. He refused to pay her money, and then when she complained, he, like, strangled her. Fuck. Go Jack Nicholson. Yeah, can we get some, like, activists onto this? Interestingly, though, there was some concerns on set that some of the actors were actually experiencing some acute mental illness while on set. For example, Danny DeVito, bet you didn't expect to see him in this film, Michael, created an imaginary friend to get him through the the long shoot. And the doctor on set, who played the doctor, was asked, is he okay? Like, should we be concerned? And he was like, no, as long as he knows it's not real, it's fine. And he was fine. But also one of the other actors, Sidney Lassick, who played Charlie Cheswick, everyone was very concerned about him, including that doctor, because he kept getting very uh, emotional and really showing a really erratic and unpredictable behavior during the shoot. And like in the last scene between Jack Nicholson and the chief, he became so overwhelmed that he just had a huge emotional outburst and had to be removed on set. So it poses the question, what comes first, the mental illness or the institution? Mm. Mm. I think in the DSM, they just call that being an actor. Being in the... in the Just being a... In the zone. Just being a histrionic actor. <laughs> uh, Michael, did you learn whether... Ratchet had any creators or actors that had a history of mental illness, disability, treatment? Well, it's a bit of a weird one. Certainly there's no actors in the film that had multiple personality disorder. Or Well, that's an outdated know, diagnosis I know, now. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, Ryan Murphy focuses a lot on, on queer characters in his work. That is true. Um, and there is sort of a theme through Ratchet of homosexuality as a mental illness, mm-hmm. which obviously it isn't, um, but people being put through pretty heinous treatments for homosexuality. That's true. Yeah, he was raised Irish Catholic, and when he came out, he saw a therapist who said he didn't have a mental illness. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he has that lived experience, you know, since it, Miranda's character, Miranda, <laughs> <laughs> hides her sexuality, Mildred Ratchet only kind of discovers it in a way partway through the series. And there's the characters in the mental institution who are treated for lesbianism, as yeah, he says. Yeah. To be fair to, to Ryan Murphy, he is very inclusive as a director and a, and a producer. Like, he obviously uses a lot of queer actors. And I have, in some of the shows he's watched, I think, not many, but The Politician, I'm pretty sure there's a few different ability actors in his show. 
And trans actors as well. Yeah, cool. Well, he's got his things that he does well and he's got his things that he doesn't do well. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I didn't find any information on whether any of them had actually researched anything either. Well, I mean, they've got some, you know, suitably dramatic information about how institutions used to work, but I'm not sure if that's out of a feeling that they wanted to show people what it was like back in the day or if it was just because it was good TV. I reckon it's probably the latter. I mean, maybe it's too soon because it's only just been released. Maybe there'll be some more information coming up, but I honestly think most of the things we see are just played for shock value rather yeah. than anything else. I fully agree with you. So I think it loses oh. most points there. Oh yeah, lived, no, zero, zero for lived experience. <laughs> so question two is how accurate is the portrayal? And when we answer this question, rather than focusing in on particular mental illnesses, because A, we'd be here all night, and B, there's not actually always in both movies explicitly stated diagnoses. Mm. Um, also, I'm not going to come here and talk about how accurate is the portrayal of the mental illness of lesbianism because it's not a mental illness, etc. So I thought we could focus on how accurate is the depictions of the treatment of mental illness and institutions at the time. Mm -hmm. To start with, with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I know you've probably done a little bit of mental illness history in your degree i know i've done some in my degree but that was a million years ago so mm. do you know anything that you could shed some light on yeah well i guess the history of people's understanding of mental illness is pretty checkered mm. but i guess like the sort of clinical side of things started in the 1700s where like institutions started happening mm -hmm. and they would take people who I guess society deemed as crazy and uh, you know unsafe to be in the world yeah and segregated them from society but like some of these big sort of classic institutions like Bedlam you know mm. you could pay to visit and see people acting crazy that's so fucked up yeah it's it's pretty heinous people were awful back then yeah there were a lot of different ideas about what induced mental illness leading to people to do pretty shocking things like pulling teeth out inducing fevers which i think was meant to induce seizures and is that supposed to release the mental illness? Well, there's this notion that if you can somehow get the brain to just discharge all of its energy in a really chaotic, like, global way, you can kind of reset it and make the person's symptoms better. Okay. So that's the theory behind electroconvulsive therapy. Right, yeah. Um, but they used to give people malaria to give them really, really high fevers, which would mm -hmm. induce convulsions. And did a lot of people also die? Well, malaria is not something you want to get. <laughs> so, yeah, people would have definitely died from that. Mm. Um, yeah, they also used to put people into insulin comas for the same reason. Mm. But, yeah, like ECT was is kind of the, the most sort of clinically sound way to do that now. And ECT is still used today. Yes. Isn't it? So there's some backing behind that theory. Well, like, whenever they talk to us medical students about ECT, they're always 
bemoaning Cuckoo's Nest. (laughs) Why? Why did this movie make our good treatment look so terrible? Yeah. And, you know, in the movie, they don't sedate him at all. He's surrounded by people holding him down and they just put the electrodes straight on his head. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also don't tell him what's happening. No, he's not. He doesn't give informed consent. (laughs) Well, obviously that was the 60s too. And maybe they didn't believe in informed consent. Yeah, yeah. But on the topic of ECT, since we're talking about it, yeah, how accurate is that scene in what it actually looks like? Do you know? Yeah, I have seen ECT happen a few times, wow. um, and I, I can't speak for what it's like for the the person having it. But as a somebody observing, I found it really quite traumatic. Really, um, and the way that Jack Nicholson does it is pretty accurate to wow. what it looks like. And just clarify too, in the, in today's world, when you're given ECT, you're sedated? Yeah, so people get injured from having seizures, so you get given a muscle relaxant. So the way he thrashes around, mm. you wouldn't see that now because effectively your your muscles aren't working. Yeah. Um, they kind of tense really mm. hard, mm-hmm. which in itself is, is quite hard to watch. Mm. But it's much more controlled. Yeah, you're anaesthetised. There's an anaesthetist and a psychiatrist and, you know, nursing staff and mm-hmm. theatre techs there. Um, and it's very controlled. It's still very traumatic for the patient. And a lot of them have it effectively involuntarily. In which is well. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very highly regulated process. Mm-hmm. It goes to a tribunal and... It's a yeah. last resort. Strategy, yeah, yeah. It? Yeah, it's extremely... It's the most severe. invasive thing you could do. I mean, short of lobotomies, which don't get done anymore. Mm-hmm. On the topic of lobotomies, I did read a little bit about them as well because the end of the film he gets a lobotomy. Mm. And I did read that they were around in the mid-40s and were sort of brought to the US in about 1947 using the ice pick method. Mm. And they believed that if you damage the connections in those neurological pathways where the behaviours that patients were exhibiting were happening then you could stop those behaviors and then stop the affliction yeah like severing the frontal lobe from the rest of the brain yeah but as a result often patients then their memories were damaged their personalities were shifted some would just become completely non-responsive um so it was (laughs) pretty (laughs) awful but it it sounded like they did them a lot of them until the 70s and at that time Medication was kind of more the dominant method of treatment. Mm. But usually by the 50s, it was only really extreme cases, apparently. Okay. So, like, this movie is the 60s, so it probably very rare to lobotomize someone. I'm guessing at the time. But then Ken Kesey knew more than me, obviously. How is the depiction of where, like, you know, what the lobotomy looked like? <laughs> <laughs> they don't really teach medical students about lobotomies Why not? anymore. <laughs> The only stuff that I really have seen about lobotomies is is that ice pick lobotomy, mm. and the classic image that I've seen is that there's like he's like thirteen or something. This kid getting a lobotomy, and it's literally just a doctor with an ice pick in the kid's nose, oh, Jesus hammering Christ. it in. Why was a thirteen year old getting a lobotomy? Because he was like a bad seed, you know, What's like most he was just repeated bad behaviour. So they were like, yeah, we'll lobotomize him. That seems sensible. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's. I mean, you know, this show and this movie are both talking about how fucked up the things we used to do to people with mental illness were. 
and probably nothing is worse than the lobotomy. I wondered if the like the stitches were in the right place. <laughs> there was a few other like portrayals of treatment, such as um, one of the characters, the one who goes, "I'm tired" all the time, is like in the first scene when you see him, he's strapped to his bed and they mm, unstrap him. Yeah, and apparently that was pretty common, like just to keep them still. Like, yeah, that's really really bad. You wouldn't, you can still restrain people these days but you wouldn't restrain somebody just to sleep just to get them um, to sleep you'd yeah. do it in the short term while they're sort of unsafe for themselves or others and you would only do it as a last resort again that would be a mechanical restraint yes yeah yeah i uh, did a lot of work writing behavior support plans for people with disabilities because they had some sort of restraint given to them because of their behavior mm-hmm. and that would have been one of them Another one would be chemical restraint, which would be medication. Yeah. So, which we also see in Ratchet and Cuckoo's Nest. I think so. It, definitely yeah. in Cuckoo's Nest, like they all line up and get their medication at the beginning. Yeah. And everyone gets medication. They don't get told what's in it. They just yeah. say, "Take it. It's good for you." Oh no! I mean, like you know that classic scene in lots of movies where somebody gets pinned down by like ten orderlies and then they inject something into their yeah. neck. Like, yeah. That happens whatever. in both. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't ever give somebody an injection in their neck. Just Yeah, what is so that you know, about? I think it's just movies. <laughs> Movie magic. It's more traumatic for the viewer. Yeah. Ugh, just gross. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, from what I can see, like, that, that's pretty common. You just get medications. And on the topic of my experience as well, some of the older um, adults with disabilities that I worked with who were originally in in institutions in Queensland and then came to live in the community when the institutions closed down, a lot of them were on antipsychotic medications that they'd been on for years and years and years, never been reviewed, and no one really could figure out what it was actually for. It was just for behaviour. So they don't necessarily have a psychotic condition requiring antipsychotics. So it was pretty messed up. Like We have experience in Australia that tells us that this is all very accurate. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Like given Super given how up. nasty those drugs are in terms of side effects. Yeah, and some of the medications, like one of the people I treated was on a medication that's like discontinued because it led to blindness. Oh god. It's really messed up. Yeah. Another depiction of treatment was like the group therapy. Okay, <laughs> so many problems with the group therapy scenes in <laughs> Cookie's Nest. A wise and nurse who doesn't seem to be using any like therapeutic techniques leading the group therapy session. B, some of the things I talk about are like should be things that you talk one on one with somebody, not mm. in a group. And C, like, where's the doctor? Where's the psychologist or psychiatrist? Yeah. They had them in the 60s. Yeah. What did you think about it? I thought it was just another strategy to humiliate them. Yeah. Make them feel like they were defective. Yeah. Um, and not fit for society. And I guess the whole point of Nurse Ratchet's character and, and the movie itself is nothing that was happening in the movie was therapeutic, designed mm. to make anyone feel better. It was really designed to keep people in the institution. Mm. Mm. Do you have experience with group therapy nowadays? Like, is it It's a little <laughs> bit more um, recovery-oriented these days? I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, usually it's not a ragtag team of people who don't actually have mental illness in the room either. The institution and how it's run and what it looks like in Cuckoo's Nest, well, obviously it was a real institution. 
Mm. So obviously you can't really fault it for being accurate. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty scary, you know, all that barbed wire and stuff. Yeah, it's like a prison. Yeah, it's pretty nasty looking space. Mm. Definitely improved things in that respect nowadays. I actually saw a couple of pictures from Cleveland State Hospital in 1946 and it looked even worse than the one in Cookie's Nest. You'd hope it would have been better since the 40s. Yeah, like all the beds really close together. Because I remember when I watched Cookie's Nest, I'm like, would they really just be all in together in one room? But yeah, apparently they were. Mm, That's pretty dehumanizing. Yeah, like you're all just, again, like a a prison. Mm. Um, You have no privacy. But yeah, like what I read was there was appalling conditions in institutions. There was lack of hygiene, overcrowding, abuse of patients happening a lot. And also, like, they would cut funding, particularly during World War Two, because all the funding was given to the soldiers. The boys. Um, the boys. So patients wouldn't even starve to death because they had nothing. God. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. And also the people that were actually put in institutions was pretty accurate, as we were saying. Like, the fact that McMurphy's considered lazy, his talks went unauthorized. He's belligerent. He's got a resentful attitude to work. That's enough. He can, you can come to the institution. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's also true to that, like, you know, the in medicine, sometimes they refer to a heart sink patient. What's that? Which is like when you see that you're going to, like you're a GP, you see on your schedule, you're seeing this patient mm. th- today, your heart sinks. It's the the difficult patient you don't know what to do with. Mm. And I think still to this day... I think psychologists could relate to that. Of course, yeah. 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 Um, I think to this day people with mental illnesses just get kicked around from service to service when you don't know what to do with them. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what's happening with McMurphy where he's been through different... Government organisations and institutions. Yeah, like he's been, th- he's been imprisoned in various areas. And they don't know what to do, so he must be crazy. And he's really just acting, so he says, crazy to get out of... He's just a larrikin. He's just a larrikin, he's but he wants to get out of and a statutory serving rapist. his sentence in jail. Yeah. He thinks it'll be better to go to an institution. But boy, was he wrong. <laughs> yeah. Did not work out well for him. Oh, I think it's important to know that women were institutionalised a lot more than men. Okay. From what I hear, because, I you know, a woman has their place back mm. then, of course, and if they didn't fit in with what people expected of women, you know, hysteria was basically to treat, was a word for women. Yeah. Then they would be seen as crazy. Yeah. Well, they I didn't guess want to do their work. <laughs> there's a narrower range of things that women can be that are tolerated. Exactly. Whereas you know, men like a man be a can get more. away with a lot worse. And being a bastard was like, normal man behavior yeah or just eccentric or something yeah not not crazy yeah oh i just want to note a few things that i thought was pretty good about like behavior Mm -hmm. and treatment in the institution (laughs) that scene in the group that really big (laughs) outburst when cheswick is really upset because he wants his cigarettes and wants something done and Christopher Lloyd's character, I can't remember his name, he goes absolutely nuts because he's actually on fire because a cigarette gets thrown onto his pant leg and everyone just, like, launches themselves at Christopher Lloyd and Cheswick. I liked how that sort of happened. You could see, like, it all building up and it all made sense when you see, like, all the events play out. Of course, if you were on fire, you would scream and yell and jump up and down but to the orderlies and the nurse in the institution, 
he's going nuts. He's going mm. crazy. We need to sedate him. And it's just a really good encapsulation of how we treat behavior that's a bit not what we expect and we treat it with punishment or we treat it with there's something wrong with you, we need to change you when there was a clear trigger for that behavior and that's a reasonable reaction to that trigger mm. and if that trigger wasn't there that wouldn't happen. I can't believe I'm saying this because this was you know, his 1960s portrayal, but that's still a problem today. Yeah. When a person who maybe can't communicate very well is upset, they may be treated as we need to fix their behavior when there's a good reason they're upset and they're just trying to tell you. Yeah. But they just don't have the words that you have. So I just really liked that. Our six month old went through a phase where he wouldn't take a bottle. Yes. We thought there was something wrong with him. No. It's just that we were trying to feed him too much. <laughs> he need wasn't that much. hungry. It's the same thing. And then we stopped feeding him so much and he was happy puppy. <laughs> No, institutions were whack. Yeah, and you can really see in the movie that they just really have no rights at all. They didn't get to celebrate Christmas. I don't know where you get that from because they had little Christmas decorations out and stuff in the movie. They were all in bed by like six o'clock. In America, they have Christmas Eve all the time. Like they didn't get to... <laughs> all the time, <laughs> every week. They didn't get to do anything fun for Christmas. Yeah. You can clearly see that. That's, the movie was very clearly stating that that was happening. And then along comes McMurphy to just give them Christmas. Murphy Claws. But, yeah, I just wanted to say that some of the stuff in Cuckoo's Nest that we see as kind of shocking now, or at least we think would be a problem, is definitely still a problem today in the sort of psychiatry environments that I've been in. Like the hospital wards. Yeah, yeah. So, like, treatments are very frequently given without a good explanation of what it is. People just take their medicine the same way that they do in Cuckoo's Nest. That's really messed up. It's it's probably not as bad as it was then, but, I don't know, doctors gloss over explanations of things a lot, and um, I don't think people are always giving a true informed consent for whatever psychiatric medication they're on. And I think the relationships between patients and the psychiatrist versus patients and the nurses is still very accurate. A psychiatrist will see a patient for anywhere between like 10 minutes and an hour a day on mm -hmm. an inpatient ward on weekdays, mm. um, whereas the nurses are there 24-7. True. Um, and, you know, in some cases they need to be making contact with the patient every 15 minutes sort of thing. So mm. the nurses do the heavy lifting in mental health. Yeah. You um, know what, Michael, I just realised we should have got your mum on to this <laughs> yeah. podcast because she is a uh, mental health nurse. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to mention that. The scene where I think it's when McMurphy is choking Ratchet in Cuckoo's Nest and mm. like eight orderlies pile on and you see the psychiatrist run out from his office sort of into the fray, but he's just sort of on the outside, like mm. hovering, like, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> like me when like a plumber is working on something in our house, I'm like, oh, do you want some water? <laughs> that resonated with me because my mum, who is... A lady of short stature. <laughs> I don't know how tall she is, but she's a short lady. She got into an altercation with a very tall, aggressive patient when she was working in a psych inpatient mm -hmm. facility. And her button to call for help wasn't working. Oh, God. And um, there was a psychiatrist on the other side of the window from the room that she was in. And they just kind of poked their head in, saw what was happening, 
and then just kind of watched. And and oh. I don't know that it's very anecdotal. I'm referring to something that happened in a movie and one isolated thing that happened to my mum. But there very much is a vibe that psychiatrists uh, hands off. off. Mm. The nurses do the dirty work. Yeah. And, you know, if worse comes to worse, you call security. But, yeah, the psychiatrists are not involved in that aspect of wow. things. I think um, we can all agree that nurses are not paid enough for their job. I agree with that. Mm. Yeah. Wow, um, so that's still kind of accurate. That's today. Yeah, definitely. And not nearly as exciting. But I wanted to just say that the ratio of voluntary to involuntary patients is probably the same mm. roughly in, in, in some wards as it is in Cuckoo's Nest because yeah. we want to treat people with the least restrictive means possible. So we do everything we can to not treat people involuntarily. Yeah, and that um, makes but sense. But sometimes you have to. Yeah. And again, it's very, very highly regulated, involves tribunals. And I do know it's it's very difficult to get an involuntary order put on somebody yeah. if you feel that they need to go to hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, well, rightly so, but yeah, it makes it a bit difficult sometimes. Mm. So we've talked about the institution in Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. whether or not it's accurate. Mm-hmm. We've decided it's probably pretty accurate. So the accuracy of the institution in Ratchet. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's... It's almost, like, offensively beautiful. I like, know. I found the whole show offensively just beautiful. too much. Like, it was so good looking. If I saw a picture of it, I'd be like, wow, that is stunning. You clearly haven't seen any Ryan Murphy yeah, stuff. I think so. But it kind of it reminded me of like late Tim Burton, like mm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's just so maximalist. It, it really reminds me a bit eyes. of new Tim Burton. Yeah, it's very like quirky. Sarah Paulson's costumes. Mwah. Yeah, like oh. everyone's just immaculately dressed. Um, Love it. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it, it's hard because like it's meant to be a new sort of institution with you know Dr. Hanover is is trying to make it a nicer place for the patients. But how are they affording uh, all of I that? Mean, I I, I sort of assumed it was a private clinic, so they were presumably rich patients. No, they weren't because wasn't he trying to get funding from the governor and Sharon Stone's son? doesn't have any money when she dies, when he kills her, and he ends up going to the institution. Uh, so it's not private. Well, I think if any case it We're would be this. an unusual institution. I would also question some things about, like, how the patients are kind of just free to wander from room to room. Yeah, there's, like, absolutely no security. Yeah. And it's set in the 1940s, so... So you'd think it would be worse... Much worse. ...than Cuckoo's Nest. Exactly. But anyway, like, I don't know, maybe we can suspend our disbelief and say, well, it's just an unusual institution for its time. Mm. It's probably important to note that because it's a Ryan Murphy joint, um, it does have very much an air of over-the-topness and ridiculousness and non-reality. Like, it's Mm. not designed to be very accurate anyway, let's be honest. I mean, that's been kind of the difficulty in making this episode because like when we first started watching it I was really studiously taking notes but I didn't take any notes for the last few episodes of the show because it got very silly it's so over the top it's almost like a parody it's almost like desperate housewives or something Mm. like it's just super over the top and silly except I liked desperate housewives at the time (laughs) but anyway like we it's still trying to make some points about treatment and things um one thing would Miranda recover 
in a mental institution when she just needed to be in a general hospital. It, it, it definitely, <laughs> it definitely makes the psychiatrist do a lot of medical heavy lifting. <laughs> um, like he does trying, everything. Trying to stitch the arms back on. <laughs> like I know about psychiatrists who can't manage constipation, <laughs> let alone a complex amputation. <laughs> While on LSD, no less. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I think that just like limits the number of beautiful sets they have to gather, really. So some of the things that they show us include quote-unquote hydrotherapy. Yeah. Which was something that they did from about the 1800s um, where they'd either expose people to cold or hot water. And they use that a fair bit in the show, I'm guessing, just for, like, shock value. It's definitely super shocking. Um, It's still a thing. It's still a thing that they did. So would they make the baths that hot as they did in Ratchet? Like, the nurse was saying it was, like, 117 degrees Fahrenheit, which I looked up was about, like, 46 Celsius. Would they make them that hot? No, so from what I read, the warm baths would be 33 to 36 degrees mm-hmm. Celsius. Okay, like a warm Brisbane... No, a, that's, a, that's Brisbane summer. A so. Brisbane spring. It's not Brisbane spring, 33 to 36 degrees. That's a Brisbane spring. That's Brisbane summer. Anyway. And the cold baths would be from 9 to 21 degrees. Okay, yeah, so obviously that was overdone for shock value the yes. boiling of them yes. in the hydrotherapy and tanks. also i'm not sure if all your skin would melt off like that guy in the in ratchet after being in a bath of 50 what would degrees. happen you'd be just poached you'd just be very hot you'd just be absolutely pooped another thing that they do is talk about how they used lsd a bit as a psychotropic so ratchet talks about um, psychiatrists using LSD as a treatment for mental illness. And in one scene, the mother of a kind of quite sadistic young adult mm-hmm. asks Dr. Hanover to treat him. Dr. Hanover gives him LSD and unbeknownst to him, the kid gives him a massive dose of LSD. So you've got a kid on a small dose of LSD with sort of homicidal tendencies and the psychiatrist on a massive dose of LSD. He still manages to do some very good surgery. Well, for some yet yeah, for some reason the kid cuts his arms off and then the psychiatrist is required to try and stitch another person's arms back. This is the this is this, this is, is the, the bullshit we're dealing <laughs> with is, right now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but like to speak to the actual historical facts LSD was marketed as a drug for mental illness in the 40s. Used as therapy. Yeah, Yeah. and it was sort of hailed as a silver bullet for everything from schizophrenia to criminal behaviour to sexual perversions and alcoholism, (laughs) which probably hasn't been borne out in the literature since then. No. Like, it's definitely used... For lots of different reasons today, but yeah. <laughs> a psychiatrist, I don't think he's... No, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> don't think so. And I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong, but it would be very difficult to not only saw your arms off mm. while you're on LSD, mm. but also sew someone's arms onto someone <laughs> Yes. while on a very high dose of LSD. I just don't believe that being high on acid would be sufficient to bypass your, like, pain avoidance. No. 
I mean, that young man was very sadistic. Yeah, but not masochistic. And also, psychiatrists probably can't suture a laceration. Well, he did end up losing his arms and legs because of sepsis. So, he obviously didn't do a very good job. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that whole scene was messed up. By the by. Definitely. Um, I have a question about lobotomies in Ratchet. Yeah. You know, in that first scene where he uses what he calls a... Trephine. Trephine. And he, like, screws it He mispronounces into... Trephine. Oh, that's my, my, good my to know. <laughs> Would he actually use that to screw in and make the lacerations into the skull? Why didn't he just use the ice pick? They would have been doing it for a while back then. Trephine. <laughs> I can't. It's like trepine. Okay. Steph, you, you've put a lot of pressure on me to um, know the neurosurgical ins and outs of the lobotomy. And frankly, I, I don't know. You know what? I'm glad you don't know too much about lobotomies because that would be weird. But I think the point they're trying to make is that it was a fairly haphazard sort of endeavour. Mm-hmm. Um, he was putting it in blind and just wiggling it around a little bit. And then moving you know, on to the next patient. Hoping that he's at the right spot to cut those connections. He but could have sh- done all kinds of damage. But and surely in the 40s they'd at least get a pen <laughs> and write a little, <laughs> draw a little thing. But no, even I don't think that even would have helped. It just proves how silly the show is. I did want to just touch on the mental illnesses depicted in Ratchet because there are a few mentioned and portrayed very explicitly. And there's a few there that, like there was one I had to look up, which was Pickerism. So the young man with no arms and legs is said to have Pickerism, which is becoming sexually aroused by penetrating the skin of another person. So it's classified as a paraphilia. And apparently there's a lot of serial killers that have this. Ah, uh, that's definitely your domain. Oh, also, Jack the Ripper was suggested to have pickerism as well. Never heard of him. So They'll say anything just, about Jack the Ripper. You basically could, couldn't you? But yeah, I, I, I didn't really want to say anything too much apart from that not many people are actually diagnosed with pickerism these days. It is true that, as we've already touched on, homosexuality was considered a mental illness but isn't. I, I said that really, like, offhandedly. Obviously it's not, and it's very insulting that it ever was. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> There were a couple of other reasons were mentioned for being in an institution, which was juvenile distraction, mania, memory loss. And that was kind of actually accurate that that, that would get you into an institution. Also, that scene where Edmund Tolleson acts like he has schizophrenia. And when that scene played out, I was like, oh, this is such a stereotype. This is bullshit. This is like textbook crap. And then the doctor, Dr. Hanover, was like, this is too good a portrayal of schizophrenia. I reckon you're putting it on. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I just want to say, when that scene started, I actually thought it was a decent performance, right. at least in the context of a show like this. And I thought, oh, well, like, we're going to see a character with psychosis, because at that stage, all we knew was that he murdered Murder. all those priests. We didn't really know anything about him. And I was like, okay, cool. This is definitely going to be something we talk about in the podcast. And then, yeah, my hopes kind but of if, got dashed within seconds well, because of but that. But if we had spoken about that, then we would be saying this is very harmful to say that people with schizophrenia would commit mass murder. Yeah, it's true. But so I, I, I'm the glad things, he didn't have schizophrenia. Yeah. The things that he said about 
you know, listening to thoughts and the radio antennas in his mouth and all that stuff. So those paranoid delusions. Yeah, like that's all stuff that you see on a on a ward every day. I just thought it wasn't very nuanced. I just wanted to put that out there. I'm glad that it wasn't actually schizophrenia. I think that I would be more inclined to rate this show a bit better. If they actually had a mental illness in there. For the purposes of our podcast, if he actually was psychotic and that was his portrayal of psychosis. Okay. Agree to disagree. (laughs) Also, multiple personality disorder is portrayed, which is now called dissociative identity disorder. And we'll talk about it more during stereotypes because I have a lot to say about it. I don't think it was very accurate. Just one last thing on accuracy. Ratchet asked for $1 million from Sharon Stone's character. That's equivalent to $12 million in today's money. What? That's a lot of money. So much money. To kill one dude. So we've talked about lived experience. We've talked about accuracy. Let's discuss stereotypes. I'm here for it. So Cuckoo's Nest. I guess a couple of stereotypes I noticed was the visual side of mental illness. Like the movie definitely tried to portray mental illness as people with it are funny looking or unkempt. Like, a lot of the patient's teeth weren't very good. They had, like, greasy hair, pimply. And I just didn't think that was very accurate. But also just not a good stereotype. And as we've also mentioned, using those actors that have very visual, distinct looks. And, you know, even Jack Nicholson says, what do you want me to do, like, shit on the floor? Is that crazy enough for you? Like, that visual visual of being crazy equals doing wacky things, um, which is just not... Just bad. Just a bad stereotype. I also thought that, like, the portrayal of nurses and staff as being really cold and uncaring. Obviously, Nurse Ratchet is the stereotype of a bitch nurse, basically. So, you know, it hasn't done good things for nurses as a profession, I'm guessing. Yeah, true. And also doctors, too. They're portrayed as, like, useless. As you were saying, the doctor flailing around. Well, I was saying that's accurate. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as a stereotype. Yeah, Like, we barely see the doctors doing very much at all, apart from sitting in an office and having a chat. Mm -hmm. And not always aware of what's actually going on. I thought, like, the stereotype of treatment, and I guess in terms of accuracy too, like, I know, I read, in the 50s, there were, like, OTs around. There was music therapy, there was group activities, there was, like, jobs and stuff for patients to do. And you didn't see any of that so I just thought as a stereotype for mental institutions and treatment yeah like we've established it was pretty dire back then but there was probably more purpose for people there than it portrayed and more things for them to do yeah fair Rather enough than but I mean around doing nothing some of those things might have been in your upper end like rich people yeah institutions yeah true but better funded ones. I take your point I thought Again, sort of as we touched on with Rain Man, our last episode, there was a few stereotypes of people with disabilities or mental illnesses not having any agency or autonomy and people making decisions for them and not even being able to be heard or listened to. Like, you know, Nurse Ratchet saying to Cheswick, I'll listen to you when you're calm. I'll answer your question when you're calm. And of course, that doesn't make the patient any calmer and he doesn't get what he needs or wants. Yeah, it's probably not very good for that message. Mm. 
and also that people with mental illness kind of have relationships as well. Like Billy Bibbit, he's obviously a young, impressionable man who just wants a girlfriend desperately. And the story that is being told to Nurse Ratchet where he proposes to someone, she basically questions that it even happened and his feelings aren't really validated. And of course he needs Jack Nicholson's girlfriend, just like Rain Man. He needs to basically be pushed into a room to have his virginity taken. So yeah. was that consent? Mm. <laughs> Hard to say. Yeah. So yeah, that was a bit gross in saying that people with mental illnesses, you know, won't or can't have relationships. Pretty shit, really. Yeah. I guess also just lastly, like that group therapy or therapy in general is useless. A lot mm. of people don't believe that therapy is useful in the world. Mm. And maybe watching this movie and seeing, you know, the actual therapy taking place and how awful it was and actually detrimental, maybe that put that thought in some people's minds. Yeah. What yeah. do you think? I mean, I guess I hope people watching Cuckoo's Nest today aren't using it as a, an indicator of what therapy is going to be like. Well, it would be very um, outdated. Yeah. But it could have influenced people's minds in the 70s. In, in the day, yeah, you're right. What about Ratchet? Ratchet stereotypes are plenty. So like starting with, I guess, the staff of the hospital, we're really shown this picture of really incompetent staff. Mm. So there's the nurse who gives Edmund Tolson a hand job and runs away with him. That's, That's a total breach of patient-nurse <laughs> boundaries. Oh, my gosh. Didn't they know better in the 40s? Also the fact that, you know, Ratchet becomes a nurse not once but twice <laughs> with falsified credentials. And they say the first time in World War II, like, she's like, I'm the best nurse in the biz. Like, she's got this great reputation of being an amazing nurse, which suggests that you don't have to have any qualifications or skills to be a good nurse. Yeah. How fucked is that? Yeah. Also, you know, the doctor, well, I mean, he shoots up all the time He's mm. just like, he's, he's a really one note character um, and he gets really irritating after a while because he's just always got that I'm under intense pressure face. That crazed look. Yeah. yeah and it's just really irritating. It's, there's no um, ebbs and flows mm. and whatever, peaks yeah, and troughs. constantly irritable. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's all important to talk about, but I, I think the most important thing to talk about are the mental illness stereotypes. Mm. And straight off the bat, I think we should talk about the character with quote-unquote multiple personality disorder. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm keen. I think just having this diagnosis in the mix at all just tells you that they're treating mental illness without any kind of seriousness. It's just used as a bit of a gimmick, like almost as a freak show type thing. I'm currently closing my eyes and nodding so slowly, audience. <laughs> it's, it's true. So, you know, I guess we could talk about, so multiple personality disorder is now known as dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. It almost always starts in childhood. Yeah, that's what really pissed me off. Like it wouldn't have occurred from an event two years ago. Yeah, so the, the character that we're talking about is an adult and she got locked by some men in a cupboard for nine days and I think she was assaulted and had a... It had awful conditions. Yeah, yeah. like... Yeah, it would have been know, extremely ex extreme traumatic. trauma. Mm -hmm. um, it happened to her two years before we see her. And from that time on, 
she's had multiple personalities in so, effect. And it sounds like there was like at least three other ones. Yeah, so I can't quite pick it up. But there's Charlotte, who is her. There's a child or mm-hmm. a baby. Yeah. There's a baseball player who's fighting Hitler or something. Yeah. Or like an Olympian fighting Hitler. Mm. And then there's somebody who is a like virtuoso, some kind of instrument I player. Was the... Yeah, she Who played... are you? You are nothing. Yeah, God. It, it, and it was such an irritating performance too. <laughs> anyway, so the, the, the fact is that, yeah, normally a fir- the first sort of different personality would appear at three years of age. Or whenever um, the sort of event, yeah, traumatic event in yeah. childhood took place. It would be like unusual to have an adult onset after a traumatic experience. But there's usually trauma in the past, but as a child. Yeah. And there are some other things that predispose you to it. Like, like comorbidities. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the DSM basically says, you know, to have dissociative identity disorder, you need to have the presence of two or more distinct personality states accompanied by the inability to recall personal information beyond what you would expect from a person's normal forgetfulness. Which, you know, we definitely see that. But she I, meets the criteria, it's just an unusual story. Well, she doesn't meet the criteria because it's it's unlikely. I don't think there's been any cases where it's come from a more recent event. Yeah. Okay. I don't think she does. Yeah. And also the alters, as they call them, the other personalities, the fact that they've got this backstory of, you know, being a musician in Vienna and a baseball player, like that, that's not accurate well, there's a debate that personalities split either through as a way to cope with trauma. For example, often there's a regressed childlike alter in there because it's like the person in their innocent state before the trauma happened. And it might be a way to like protect the person from experiencing the trauma by sort of splitting their personality. But it's still you, like it's an offshoot of your personality. I might be, I don't, obviously have not treated anyone with dissociative identity disorder. The treatment is generally like integration of the personalities, but there's actually some advocacy groups who believe that that's actually not inclusive because why shouldn't they exist? And that's fair enough. Mm. But like in the show, it's, it's such a trope. It's like the creator just watched a lot of old movies of multiple personalities, like the classic, like Sybil was one of those really popular movies. Maybe even like me, myself and Irene, that terrible (laughs) movie, uh, which we'll have to do. And just went with that rather than knowing a bit more about dissociative identity disorder, because it's just over the top, overblown, It's absolutely inaccurate and unlikely that hypnotherapy would be that effective in suddenly stopping the personalities from turning up. He kind of tries to inception functional thoughts into her head, (laughs) like CBT, but without her having to do anything. Yeah, without the work. (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes it is true that stress can bring out different personalities like stressful events, but not in the way that it happens. Like it's so inconsistent. For example, like an outburst of someone else like brings out a personality, but then like waking up and seeing a dead body didn't bring out a personality. Yeah, like she gets shut in a wardrobe for 30 seconds and that brings all her symptoms back. Mm. But then when she wakes up from a dissociative state and finds Dr. Hanover stabbed to death and she can't remember what happened, 
she's fine. With yeah, that. it's just ridiculous. Also, she wouldn't suddenly turn into someone that already exists, yeah. Dr. Hanover. Yeah. Also, she's unlikely to murder somebody yeah. as yeah. a personality. But it's, it's all that bullshit that's just like mental illness is having split personalities. Yes. And mental illness is being homicidal. Yes. So, so harmful. Such a terrible trope that has been used for decades since the dawn of film and it just we don't have a place for it anymore we don't need it anymore mm. it drove me bonkers bonkers um but honestly like she's just a plot device because if that character wasn't there then edmund wouldn't have been able to escape the hospital so the creator writer really just hammed this up for a purpose. He wasn't actually trying to like portray someone with dissociative identity disorder. It was just for funsies. Yeah. Pretty much. Moving on from the multiple personality disorder character, which we could talk about all night. What I really had problems with this TV show was, as you're saying, like mental illness equals you are homicidal. There was also a lot of assumptions of what will make you a psycho. So we know that Nurse Ratched in this TV show becomes Nurse Ratched in Cuckoo's Nest somehow. <laughs> so clearly the character who's sort of portrayed as a bit of an anti-hero will become this awful, manipulative, evil person in Cuckoo's Nest. So what the show is, I guess, trying to say is that all these things that happen to you could make you a psycho or, you know, a sociopath. For example, if you experience trauma as Ratched does and go through the foster system then that is something that could lead you to becoming this crazy person this awful person <laughs> is my response to that also the fact she's really into the lobotomy procedure so you know that's weird that nurse Ratched was really interested in it like I would have been really interested I probably would have vomited just like the other nurse but like <laughs> You know, we're, we're drawn to really fucked up things. Does that make us all psychopaths? Mm. Ridiculous. No. Again, like, I know that obviously this show is trying to portray that, you know, LGBTIQ people of the time, queer people, were repressed a lot and had to hide. But I don't think it actually does any good for that portrayal because... It also shows that stereotype of repressed homosexuality could lead you to doing crazy things. Mm. Because, again, Ness Ratched discovers she has feelings for a woman and eventually turns into a bit of a sociopath. I'm using sociopath and psychopath interchangeably. I should stop. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I had some notes about how it's like another sociopath. Yeah. It's like another joker. Yeah. We're just obsessed with the sociopath, but we've got a mental institution that doesn't have a single person with depression mm, or exactly. bipolar or something, just you know. Just some, you know, garden variety anxiety, yeah. which would have been so much back then. Yeah, it just might have made all the outliers seem a little bit more believable and made it all seem a little bit less harmful, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, totally. And we haven't really talked about what Nurse Ratched probably has, and I've just used the words psychopath and sociopath. But the fact that we know what we know about her so far and what she becomes, it just seems really disconnected still to me. Oh, there's no link between this <laughs> Ratched and Cuckoo's Nest Ratched. Like, that's just insanity. And also, 
it's just hard to get a grip on who she is as a character. She's so manipulative mm. and homicidal. Like you say, she's an anti-hero, but she doesn't achieve anything good in the whole show. But I think She facilitates the murder of multiple people. I think, though, the show wants you to think of her as an anti-hero. It's trying to portray her as someone you're rooting for. I was never rooting for her. I could never tell when she was being sincere or when she was manipulating, and I couldn't engage with her or empathise with her. I thought maybe I could have been on board with a narrative of she's just doing whatever it takes to save her, you know, Tolleson, her foster brother. But then but, r- right at the end, she's like, okay, I don't care about him anymore. I yeah. just want to be with my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. And the brother's so unlikable. Yeah. Like, as a viewer, I, I can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I can't. You just can't. <laughs> <laughs> And you're right. I think the show just really got so confused as to what it was trying to portray because there's times when I thought she was manipulating Miranda, (laughs) Cynthia Mm. Nixon's character, just like she agreed to go on the date, but I thought it was just so that she could get on her good side so that she could get Edmund out. Mm. And then at the end of the show, they're in a loving, happy relationship in Mexico together. Mm. So maybe it was genuine and I don't know what the show wants you to believe. Yeah, that needs to be established from the get-go or else it's going to be confusing and bad TV. And I think it's because it wants you to like her and want the best for her. Mm. But I've got bad news for you, Michael. We've got, apparently there's going to be four seasons of Ratchet. Four? I knew there'd be another one. I didn't know there'd be four. I guess you've already figured out, audience, that we don't really like Ratchet very much. Sorry. Just a couple of other stereotypes in Ratchet. One also really bad one was the foster system. The foster system can be really, really awful. In the show, they get passed around from foster family to foster family and every one of them is abusive. But they really make it very obvious, like a very stereotypical trope of they they get beaten by every foster family they go to. And, you know, that does sadly happen. Um, Unfortunately, most kids that stay in the foster system experience more abuse rather than less, which is really sad. But there's lots of wonderful foster families out there and I don't want this show to give them more of a bad rap and put people off saying, hey, I'm a foster family or, you know, I want to foster a child. Also, the abuses can be much less obvious and more insidious. Insidious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really struggling with that word. Insidious. I mean, I think the stereotype of all foster parents are abusive is kind of emphasised by the way that we find out that she's from the foster Mm. care system, which is in the puppet show scene where they literally just bounced back and forwards between puppets that hit them. And I think they go through probably three or four houses and then they get to the big one where the worst abuse happens. So, And um, the social worker too that supposedly is their guardian angel who keeps sending them to abusive foster homes. It's not good portrayal of social workers either. No. But also isn't it so stupid in the show? (laughs) I'm digressing a little bit. That we see... In the puppet show, we see exactly what happens to her. And then we hear about it when she tells Miranda. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need Repetitive. to hear it again. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got it. <laughs> Just in a, a little one too. I hate when serial killers in movies are really good looking. Mm. It's a, like the Ted Bundy effect. Zac Efron. Yes. That's right. Like the brother, um, Edmund, is an extremely good looking fellow. Kevin Spacey in Seven. <laughs> okay. 
And, you know, the nurse who's, like, super attracted to him, like... Yeah. She's obviously into that sort of thing. And also she's labelled as a nymphomaniac, which is, like, not what that means. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just really hate that trope and it's just not good at all. We yeah. shouldn't fetishise serial killers. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to ask about with stereotypes is, what does it say about euthanasia, Michael? Ratchet. Because, like, N- Nurse Ratchet is, like, an angel of death. She kills a lot of soldiers who are dying. Mm. So she believes she's doing the right thing by ending their lives. Mm. However, she's seen as, like, evil for doing that, like, doing lots of bad things, supposedly, yeah. even though we're, like, rooting for her. But in Cuckoo's Nest... Chief kills Murphy and that scene is a really honourable thing, I assume. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think that Ratchet really makes any kind of value judgment on her euthanising the soldiers. Like, mm. she gets discharged from the army. Um, I think that if you want to talk morals of euthanasia, Ratchet has a better claim to euthanising soldiers than the Chief had of killing McMurphy. Mm. Because, like, even though McMurphy's permanently changed as a result of his lobotomy, which was forced on him, Mm. he probably still has a reasonable chance of some quality of life, even though he's going to be a very different person. Well, I feel like, I guess it's a different reason for ending his life because the soldiers are going to die. Yeah, and they're in pain. So that is like your textbook morally acceptable euthanasia Mm. that most people would be on board with. I just don't know if, you know, it's the, it's the very end of Cuckoo's Nest and Ken Kesey obviously had a lot of feelings about that. I don't know if Ryan Murphy and this Evan guy has a lot of feelings about euthanasia. No, no. And, and yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a, about euthanasia. But do they want to go you, there? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do they really want this responsibility? Because I think there is a lot of responsibility Millions of people watched Ratchet. It was like the top rating TV show at the time, whenever that was, like a few weeks ago. And it's making a very big call by portraying her in this way. As an angel of mercy. As an angel of mercy. And I'm assuming that's something that comes up again because that's like her worst trait so far of things that she's done. I disagree that it's the worst thing she's done. I think the show is neutral on that. She talks somebody into killing themselves. But she she decided that he was in pain. I think she did that. Well, I saw that as manipulative. Seeing her as as part of being an angel of mercy. I saw that as manipulative and she did it to achieve a goal of putting a dead body in the hospital that they had to deal with and putting herself in the position of fixing it so she looked good. Yeah. Fair enough, it was very manipulative, but I feel like oh, it's also d- within the, her value. I mean, the three dead bodies that go through Dr. Hanover's office are all orchestrated by her. Yeah. That's why I found it so hard to empathise with her, because she was, in effect, one of the most evil characters in the show. Oh, look, I'm not doubting that at all. Yeah, sorry, we've di- we have digressed. <laughs> I think her euthanasia was a good thing that she was doing. I think you could morally... But people in the show it. are saying that she's done a lot of fucked up things by doing that. Yeah, but people in the show think that homosexuality is a mental illness that should be cured <laughs> with hot water. I just think that, look, there's a lot of things in this show. They're, they're heavy topics that they're broaching mm. in history and in today. And if mm. they're going to do it, they need to do it responsibly. And I don't think they have. That's a good point. To be totally honest, watching her do that, I didn't 
even think about euthanasia, I didn't think about the link between the chief and killing McMurphy at the end. I guess I just thought about it too much. <laughs> oh, so we've, we've said a lot. Um, but lastly, do we think they're helpful or harmful depictions? Criteria for. Let's start with Cuckoo's Nest. Do we think it's helpful or harmful? Compared to Ratchet, it's super helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon probably at the time, like in the 70s, there was still a lot of... Obviously, that institution was running. Mm. So it probably did a lot of good in promoting deinstitutionalization. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it definitely put out an image of... In a massive movie that was seen by lots and lots of people, you know, like you said, it got all those Oscars. It put out an image of, like, people with mental illness you know, maybe the way society views them is a pretty massive part of the problem. Mm. And it also put out, like, this is what it's like in institutions and, you know, you should write to your MP and get them to change it or, or whatever. You yeah. Know? So I think that's very helpful. I also think, like, the story within it of Nurse Ratchet being the society and that unseen manipulation of people who are just disenfranchised and devalued and Randall McMurphy coming in and saying, actually, these people have rights too, just like everybody else. Mm. He says, when he takes them all to go fishing, he says to one of them, you're not an idiot now, you're a fisherman. Like he gives them value, he gives them purpose. He says says to them all when he's trying to get them to change, to vote, to put on the baseball game, like you're no crazier than the average asshole walking down the street. Like we're all you know, who is actually crazy and why are you guys here? Like it's, it's, um, yeah, he tr- tries to give them that power and that purpose. And it's, it's a really good like allegory of how people end up in these devalued ways. And, and that actually, that's not the way we should see people with mental illness and disability. So yeah. I thought they did that really well, the book and the movie. Mm. I mean, there are some issues yes. with language, yes, loony, crazy, all that stuff. Also, like, medical staff just generally probably wasn't very helpful in trusting medical staff. Yeah, you're right. Like, if you've seen Cuckoo's Nest, then you might be a bit offside if, you know, a loved one has to go for inpatient psych treatment. Mm-hmm. Or yourself. That's not very helpful. Yeah, yeah. Also, I thought it was a little bit harmful. I know that it was of the time, but that depiction of people of colour, like, the orderlies were all black, and there's that sort of picture of them being, like, Easy manipulated, like um, like at the Christmas party when yeah. he just needs a bottle of liquor and then and a pretty and, girl, and a girl. Yeah, <laughs> to manipulate like that's, them that's to coming in. Bad. Also, I was wondering if it's actually quite a misogynistic film as well. I, uh, oh, uh, without a doubt, <laughs> without I think a shred it is. of doubt. Yeah, obviously, uh, Randall McMurphy is a huge misogynist. Well, I mean, he's a rapist for a start. Step one, <laughs> and this sort of image of Nurse Ratched, sort of that battle of wills. And I think it was even written maybe in the book that he's like being emasculated by Nurse Ratched. Mm. And it's sort of, she's seen as this misandrist maybe that she just hates men and she wants to like humiliate them and be awful to them. And I just think that's not very helpful for feminism Mm. in general. Yeah, Mm. I agree. He chokes her. He literally chokes her. That's true. It's pretty intense. What about Ratched? Is it helpful or harmful, Michael? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we both agree that it's a bit harmful. A little bit. On a number of fronts. The first thing that really hit me was the way it looks at disability. Mm. 
so the Sharon Stone's character's son is a quadruple amputee. And the first scene that we see him, you just see head and shoulders for most of it. And then suddenly we cut to like a medium shot of his whole body and we see that he's got no arms and legs. And there's like a orchestral <laughs> stab. Yeah. Like, like we're meant to be shocked. Like this so is a awful. shocking thing to see. Like for fuck's sake, we're in 2020. There's no excuse for that. Yeah, yeah. That and was so bad. I think they deal with um, the nurse Huck as well who has a facial yep. injury in kind of a similar way and characters talk to him about how he's got no purpose and nobody would ever hire him. Yeah. No, he, he says he's he got says, no purpose. He says those things, but no one argues with him. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe things were like that back then, but it's just not helpful. Yeah. I just feel like Ratchet really misses the point of One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Like, I just feel like, as I've already said, maybe he didn't even read the book before, actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Or you could, did any research on the, what Ken Kesey was trying to say? You could have changed the name of Ratchet and I would never have linked the two. I I got a little bit excited earlier on because um, at one point Miranda talks about the lobotomies being like playing God and, you know, like mm. are we just enforcing a sort of arbitrary idea of normal on these people who are not neurotypical? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. All right, that might be a theme that gets threaded through the whole series. Maybe Cynthia Nixon actually just asked to add that in there, which is so good. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but, yeah, no, it never it never came back, so it... it um... Yeah. Oh, it's such a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, like, there are people like Nurse Ratched, as we know her in Cuckoo's Nest, without a hugely traumatic, convoluted backstory. And there are also people with hugely traumatic, convoluted backstories that don't become Nurse Ratchets. Yeah, like, there are a lot of shitty mental health nurses, but they didn't need to get bounced through abusive foster homes Mm-mm. to become shitty mental health nurses. No. Just all those unhelpful perceptions of doctors, foster care. Can I know? With with doctors, though, eventually Dr. Hanover gets his head fucking cut off. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, and then the nurses kind of, like, take over and like, Nurse Bucket's like, like, they're like, what are we going to do without a doctor? And she's like... Who, Who needs, needs them? them? Like, but well, what does she do? Like, but you need it. Sorry, you need to have a doctor there to write the. Like, and are they going to do the lobotomies? And like, then, like, <laughs> is Huck a nurse or an orderly? Because he gets promoted to head nurse. He's just an orderly. Is I it? Thought, a, is it just a joke? Well, don't forget to the like the woman played by Amanda Plummer, the the motel owner, suddenly turns up in the last scene. Yeah, in I the know. hospital oh, working. There. Oh yeah, yeah. She yeah. So everybody. <laughs> gets shifted up like dr hanover dies and everybody goes up and step on the hierarchy yeah, even people that don't even work in the yeah hospital. maybe that's funny but what i maybe think... if we weren't writing this podcast we'd be enjoying this show a little bit more i did think that yeah. i did i do also wonder if what maybe i'm giving them too much credit maybe that what they're trying to say the, the creators is that who is actually crazy the people in the institution or the people running the institution yeah well we've all seen the cabinet of dr caligari uh, the 1920s german expressionist film i have not <laughs> it was um, the first to make that that point look i do think that maybe one helpful thing is just reminding people of how far we've come but also, like, this is not an accurate portrayal of anything, so it's not really helpful to do that because this isn't what it was like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we don't lobotomize people anymore. Like, good job. 
Before we go through the scores, I think you guys kind of know now, but did you like Ratchet? Did you like Cuckoo's Nest? I think Cuckoo's Nest is still a really good movie. Mm. I probably wouldn't have watched it again if it wasn't for doing the podcast. I enjoyed watching it again. It's also, I forgot that so many really well-known actors Mm. are in it, and some of them, like that was... Danny D. Danny D, Christopher Lloyd's first role, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Ken Kesey did not. No, I didn't know that. What about Ratchet? Uh, I really hated it. I found it a real chore to watch. Me too. I, I, found I do think I would have found offensive. it a chore still without this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's just sort of a weird soapy thing. And it I was just... so scattered and it just didn't seem to know what it was trying to do and it didn't have a clear storyline. I didn't I like it. I, I have to say, I know Ryan Murphy does a lot of American horror story things and I think maybe there's a few similar themes, like there's one about Asylum, but I haven't watched any of it, so maybe that would make more sense if I went and watched those things because mm-hmm. he uses the same actors a lot, like Sarah Paulson's in those ones. Ah, okay. And I, I love Sarah Paulson. I love Cynthia Nixon, but they didn't save it for me, sadly. What um, what do you like Cynthia Nixon in? And don't say you can't not Sex and the City. You have to say something other than Sex and the City. Baby's Day Out. <laughs> what is that? She's in Baby's Day Out. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. Oh, classic film. <laughs> oh, can I just say? I love how badly written it is at times. For example, that scene where Nurse Ratched admits to Cynthia that she loves her and Cynthia Nixon suddenly randomly mentions that she has a tumour. Yeah. <laughs> and it just reminded me of The Room <laughs> when the mum says, I got the results. I definitely have cancer. <laughs> it was like akin to Tommy yeah. Wiseau directing. <laughs> it was yeah. so bad. Like, yeah. what? Suddenly you have cancer. Yeah. It, it's got some soapy elements, which I just don't think they pulled off very well. No. Okay. So let's just quickly go through the four criteria and how they did. Uh, lived experience, cuckoo's nest. Yeah, pretty good. Decent. Decent enough. Not yeah. great, but decent. Ratchet, atrocious, I reckon. Yeah. Apart from the LGBTI stuff. Which isn't mental illness. Which isn't mental illness. It doesn't count. Accuracy. Cookie's Nest, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty good. Ratchet, appalling and shocking. Yeah. Points for old school treatments. Uh, you can uh. give them points. I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm just trying to. Because it doesn't make sense the way they use them. Yeah. Stereotypes in Cookie's Nest, there's a few problems, yeah. I would say. Better than Ratchet, but not perfect. Ratchet, the worst. <laughs> We're a bit biased in this judgment. <laughs> and helpful or harmful, Cookie's Nest. Pretty much helpful, I think. More helpful than harmful. Yeah. Oh, apart from the misogyny stuff. That's yeah. pretty bad. And Ratched. Harmful. Pretty harmful. Unequivocally harmful. What would you give Cuckoo's Nest? I'd give it maybe four yeah, out that's, of five. That's what I was going to say. Ratched. I just don't think it's a mental illness. No, it's not a mental illness <laughs> story, but it yeah. portrays significantly mental illness and institutional yeah. life. I think it is shit. I just didn't, <laughs> I just didn't want to... It's no good. It's no good. Look, no offence if you liked Ratchet. Like it for what it is. A bit of silly fun. Mm-hmm. But please don't take any life lessons out of it. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Well, that was, a, <laughs> that was an interesting discussion. We digressed a little bit and I apologise for that. But thank you so much 
for being with us tonight. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Follow us on the Instagram page, Psychocinematic Podcast. And we will bring another one to you as soon as we can. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Steph. We'll catch us later.